Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Good morning. We're going to be looking at the final verses of this incredible book and closing out our study. So Ephesians 6, if you turn there, once you get there, you can stand with me as I invite Jordan's going to come up. And he's going to lead us in our scripture reading. Yeah, give it up for Jordan. Why not? Show him a little love. He loves when people give him a round of applause. It's like his favorite thing in the world. Here you go, buddy. Favorite thing. Cool. Ephesians 6 from verse 18 through to the end. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Lord, we are, as Laura prayed during our time of worship, we are truly thankful that you have brought us here this morning. Whether we realize that or not, some of us think that we brought ourselves here. But it's your grace that has placed us in your family. It's your grace, God, that has oriented this moment on this day, this last day of the year, to be here in your presence. I think of the scripture in the Psalms that says, my times are in your hand. And what security there is to know that this morning, God, that regardless of how many wins and L's we have this year, how many victories and defeats, how many joyous moments and seasons and how many dark and difficult moments of this year. God, our security today is not in our performance. It's not in the circumstances of our life. Our security is that you, Jesus, have placed us in the eternal palm of the Father. We're in your hand this morning, God, which is all we need. So we thank you for that, God. We thank you that you've led us here into this moment uh, on, on this turn of the year. What a great symbol for your grace, how it's new every morning. And uh, we pray that as we're here, God, this, um, this wouldn't be a wasted morning. But that, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would transform and do a deep work in our hearts. God, I come and I offer whatever excellence I have in preparing some words to speak, and I just lay them at your feet, and we just all together just say, Jesus, we're here for you, and Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and speak into our lives the way that only you can, and the way that you do through the power of your word. So illuminate your word to us and open our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All righty. Psalm 
Stage is a little uneven, so I just want to give a heads up. I might trip at some point during this message. And so just a reminder of my frailty. Okay. Wow. Well, it's been such an awesome journey thumbing through this incredible book. Um, the theme that we have really centered our study in Ephesians around is this idea, um, around this idea of life in Christ, in Jesus. A lot of times we can only think of Jesus as a person to live for, rather than what Paul teaches us as an understanding of Christ as someone we are positioned in. That's what Paul really wants us to understand, that the work of the gospel, the good news of Jesus in our lives, the work that God has done through his Son and his Spirit in saving and rescuing us is he has repositioned us in his Son, Jesus. And that is what we, a place that we need to root down in in order to live from. And that's what we've been exploring. Every section of Ephesians explores a different aspect of life in Christ. And as we get to these final words of Paul here and the final words of this letter, I want to teach from the topic of pursuit in Christ. It might not be the most obvious takeaway from this section, but I think as we look at these verses, as Paul is giving his final comments here, I think we get some insight into some key things that the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, would have us pursue in Christ. You know, we're here at the end of the year, and this is usually a time where um, most of us, we take extra time to think about our lives. Uh, we we kind of look at the new year as a clean slate. In a lot of ways, it can, can serve to be that. It's almost a symbol of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You get this clean slate. The Bible says that, that with God, his mercies are new every morning. It's like a, a fresh start. And that's, by the way, if you're in Christ, that's not, you don't have to wait, by the way, like if you sinned, you don't have to be like, okay, I gotta wait till tomorrow for God to forgive me because the mercies aren't, they're old today. It's symbolism for the fact that when, listen, anytime there's sin in your life, there's grace abounding all the much more. And you could always look to God's mercy and grace for a fresh start. You're never at the end. You never have to give up with God. Isn't that good news? And I don't know about you, but I've been given through my own life many reasons apart from God to give up. To be discouraged, whether it's my life or even my own performance. But this is what I love about Jesus. He's always leading me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even when I go off course, he's like Siri. You know, he does that rerouting thing. He's like, okay, we'll take this way now. He's just so faithful to do that. And at the end of a year, it's a great time to be reminded of the grace that we live in. And it's usually a time to evaluate. Anybody else, by the way, just doing some evaluating? I'm just curious as you're going into the new year. I am. I got some things on the horizon that I got to focus on and discipline myself around as I'm entering the new year. And, and I wonder, in, in all the evaluating, how much consideration is going towards your priorities, I want you to take a moment to think about this last year of your life, and I want you to ask yourself this question. In 2023, what were you most after? What did you most pursue last year? And, and, and don't just kind of give the easy answers about what your, your heart wants, but as you look at your life, begin to ask this question. What did I pursue 
What things mattered most to me in 2023? This is probably one of the best questions we can ask ourselves, especially going into a new year, saying, okay, I got a fresh start to make sure I purpose to pursue the most important and the most primary things in the new year. Uh, The reason why I ask this question is I believe that this is one of the most primary ways that God seeks to work in our lives, especially when he first gets a hold of our heart. And and even if you've been following him for years, he's still up to this in your life, and maybe you felt this. But when God gets a hold of our lives, one of the main things that he begins to change in our hearts is our primary pursuits. Not just like our general pursuits. Like Some of you guys are like, I'm pursuing a job in the new year. Some of you guys are like, I'm pursuing my number two. Hey-oh, you know, or I'm pursuing... Uh, Maybe you're pursuing a certain goal, and that's okay. Goals are fine. I'm talking about, listen, behind those pursuits, your primary pursuits. The things that are deepest in your heart, the deepest desires of your lives. This is where God begins to work. When God starts to work in our lives and he continues to work in our lives, what he does is he seeks to, to reorder our value systems in order that we might prioritize what matters most. And We see Jesus talking about this in Matthew 6. Uh, The context here is worrying, but look at the principle that Jesus gives to his disciples. He says, therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? It's okay to have some care and concern about what you're having for lunch today and what you put on this morning. This is one of those rare mornings where we actually had to think about what we're putting on. You know, it's like got to put on maybe another layer or two. But Jesus is talking here about worrying or obsessing or giving unhealthy concern to these things in your life. He says, notice this, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Another word for Gentiles there could just be the the pagans or those that don't follow God or don't have God at the center of their lives. For your heavenly father, when you become a child of God, you know that your heavenly father knows all the things that you need. You don't have to worry, God's got it. But here's the call for the follower of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Do you see Jesus reordering the value system of the disciples' hearts? He's saying, listen, that's the way that the world lives. They live for worldly pursuits. They live to to chase after the things of this world. But that's not your life anymore. God begins to change our hearts to prioritize the things that matter most. So that's probably one of the more humbling things we can do is look back on our year and go, God, Am I pursuing what matters most? Did I pursue last year the priorities that you have for my life? And this is a good question to ask, especially entering a new year, to make sure that we do. Now, one of the main ways that Jesus begins to do this work in our hearts, I wish it was like, sometimes I do wish that the work of God was as, as simple as like the way he works in our lives. It's like you come into a Bible study, you hear some truth, and you're just like, I'm changed. This is great little like fairy dust, like a little Bible, boom. But, but usually, I think of Jesus with the disciples. Like he teaches them about faith, and he's like, you get the idea, the concept? He's, he's like, they're like, yeah, we get it. We believe now. He's like, okay, well, let's get in this boat, and let's go through this storm. Like this is usually how Jesus really teaches us. It's not through the classroom of, of the, the, uh, the ordinary classroom, but it's the classroom of life. And one of the main ways I've noticed in my life, and I think we see this in the life of Paul, one of the main ways that God will change our hearts and what we're pursuing, is, listen, in his grace, he will allow us to experience the emptiness 
and the vanity and the futility of pursuing the wrong things. By the way, this is an act of grace. Like one of the worst things you can do is pursue all the, all the wrong things and be left um, almost artificially satisfied, distracted. We, we don't want that. Like sometimes what we need to pray is, God, interrupt my distracted life. And this is what he does in his grace. We see this, I think, most clearly in the life of Paul. This is why Paul in these last verses is such a valuable person to learn from. You know, Paul was an individual who learned to pursue the right things in life by coming to the end and the emptiness of the wrong things. Um, If you know anything about the life of Paul, you know that he had a primary pursuit in life that wasn't God-centered. And it was, interestingly enough, a religious pursuit. This, this was the central thing in Paul's life. You, you could sum up Paul's life prior to Jesus being this, the central pursuit being his spiritual status. Doing everything he could by keeping the right laws and avoiding the wrong, you know, the wrong things. Paul's whole idea was this performance-based identity that, that he was living into, justifying himself in order to gain this certain spiritual status with God, first of all, this relationship status that he would earn, and then also amongst others to be kind of the highest on the uh, totem pole of spirituality. That was Paul's pursuit in life. Everything in his life centered around that until, in God's grace, he came to the end of it. I, I mean, Paul in, in, in Philippians 3 talks about this, how he was top of his class in this pursuit. Like Paul, you know, um, insert whatever star athlete you want into this matrix here, okay? But he was that guy, okay? And I'm not going to say Tom Brady on purpose, all right? I just did. Dang it. Okay, now, Paul, Paul did everything he could to be the best in show when it comes to his, his spiritual pursuit there. And, and I, I've heard uh, Dr. Tony Evans say it this way one time, and I think this is a good image for Paul. Here's what happened with Paul. Listen to this. Paul got to the top of the ladder only to realize that it was leaning on the wrong wall. I think of also the quote by Francis Chan that says, Our greatest fear in life should not be of failure, but of succeeding in things in life that don't really matter in the end. Wow. Man, it's God's grace to make you realize that the ladder you're on, that you're climbing, is on the wrong wall. And this was Paul's experience. Paul so came to encounter the emptiness of his life and the truthfulness of Christ that this is what he ended up saying in Philippians chapter 3. He says, these things that were gained to me, these worldly pursuits that have left me empty, these I have counted loss for Christ. You see the reorienting of his value system? The things that my whole, my whole life used to be around, my whole year was built around pursuing these things. But then when I met Jesus, I met the pearl of great price. I found the greatest treasure. I found the one that I was created to pursue. And here's the good news of this. The way that you come to realize this is God's pursuit of you. One of my favorite books of all time, it's a Christian classic, is The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. The only thing that can rival The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer is his prequel, God's Pursuit of Man. And this is, isn't this the story of our lives? Aren't you glad that God hasn't left you to your own pursuits? We thank him for his grace. Time and time again, rescuing us from lives of vanity, lives of futility. This is his grace in our lives. And here, maybe a lot of us, we could say the same thing that Paul's able to say. He gets to this point where he says, listen, I'm not there yet. 
I haven't got a full handful of all that I'm after in Jesus, and I'm certainly not perfect, but here's my pursuit in life. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Jesus pursued me, and now I'm going to pursue him. This is that transforming work that God did in, in Paul's life and that he wants to do in our lives as well. And, and here as we get towards the end of this section of Ephesians, I just thought this being true about Paul, let's look at a couple things that here in these final verses that Paul would challenge us to pursue in Christ. A couple things that Paul would challenge us to pursue. Um, I think there's obviously like a great exercise that you could probably do as you, before you enter the new year to just kind of chart this out, first of all. Aside from the things that Paul's going to give us here in these verses, it's probably a good thing to just sit down with the Lord and say, God, help me see what I've been primarily pursuing. And maybe you'll be surprised. It's like, you know, I've been pursuing authentic relationship with God, or I've been pursuing to be more surrendered. You might find some good things, and maybe you'll find some convicting things. And, and begin to allow that exercise to lead you to set some primary pursuit goals for the new year. That could be a really good practice. And potentially, these three things that Paul gives us, maybe they'll be in your list, all right? So here's three things that we learned from Paul that I would encourage to be valuable pursuits for you and I in the new year. Cool with that? You guys still tracking with me? Amen. Just pursue your focus here. Here we go. The first, why'd you say that? First, I think the first thing that we are challenged by, by Paul to pursue as followers of Jesus, and let's think about this especially for the new year. I want to say this is a personal goal of mine. In the new year, I want to pursue boldness for Jesus. This, this next year, I, I want to pursue boldness for Jesus. Boldness for Christ. Paul says, pray for me. We know this is one of the Paul's pursuits. He, by the way, here's how you know what you most are pursuing. It's what you are most praying for. Right? That's what you're most after. Paul says this. Here's Paul's prayer request. Paul, like, and Paul's a guy you want to learn from. You're like, what's he, pray, what's he asking prayer for? I should probably ask for the same thing. He's asking for, you know. like, what are Paul's prayer requests? It's not like that his little dog Fido you know, gets over his dog allergies or something. It's like, is that a thing? I don't know. But like, look at what Paul's praying for. Here's his prayer requests. Paul is encouraging the church to be praying always with prayer and supplication in the spirit. We had Pastor Nate Gallagher from Calvary Vero give an awesome, by the way, talk on prayer a couple weeks ago. If you haven't, uh, if you weren't here, go uh, listen. We're on Spotify and all that fun stuff online. We're on SoundCloud too. What up? But anywhere you go, you can find uh, that teaching from two weeks ago on prayer. And it's a super strong one by Nate. But notice now as Paul is encouraging the church to be praying for everyone. And then he gives like, he's like, hey, I got a final prayer request for you. And in this letter, this is going to be the correspondence to them. He says, pray for me, and look at his prayer request, that utterance, utterance, that utterance may be given to me by God. That mouth-opening proclamation, isn't that interesting to think about? Would be graced upon me by God. That I may open my mouth to make boldly, or excuse me, I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul says this, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Paul, by the way, is in prison as he's writing this. A little FYI, right? That in it I may speak, I love this, boldly as I ought to speak. In this prayer request, Paul is pointing to one of the great, first of all, one of the, one of the, one of the greatest mysteries of the gospel. That, that the, the primary way, and we could almost say the, the main and only way that God has willed 
For his glory and goodness to be known in the world, listen, is through his people. What a marvelous concept. I don't know about you, but like if I was writing it up, I'd probably be like, let's just send a, a dispatch of angels to every nation. And there's coming a time where actually that is going to happen in the future. But I, I, would, I don't know if I'd look on and be like, let's take these humans, <laughs> these flawed, imperfect, shy, naturally often timid people, and let's have their lives be changed by the gospel. And, and here's God's mindset. It's like, let's use them to be the broadcast system of heaven in the world. This is what God is. Isn't this miraculous? That God has so willed in this time for his good news to come by the power of his spirit through his people. This is how God has worked throughout the history of the church, also throughout history in general. But I think of Acts chapter 1 where uh, Jesus is sending his disciples out into the world and he says, I need you to go and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit who's going to come upon you to enable you to be my witnesses. This is how God has willed to do it. Uh, the way that God has, listen, God's plan A, as David Platt says, and there is no plan B, for reaching your neighbors, for, for, for broadcasting the goodness of his love for your coworkers, is you. It's plan A and there's no plan B. He is willed to make known the good news of what he's done for humanity through his son Jesus, through his people. Uh, here's the language Paul uses. He says, I'm an ambassador, right? That's the big idea here. This is what Paul is talking about. Uh, he says it again in, in 2 Corinthians 5.20. What an interesting concept. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. And we know what an ambassador is. An ambassador is a representative of a kingdom. What a thought. Do you think of yourself that way? Sure, you're an American. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a brother. You're a sister. You're a mother. You're a father. But do you see yourself? Do you identify? Heaven identifies you. Do you identify yourself as a representative of the kingdom of God? Wow. We're an ambassador for Christ. Notice this language, and this is what we get invited into. As though God were pleading through us. See, a lot of times we, we put the weight on just us and like what we have to say. Just go be an ambassador. God's going to plead through you. You don't know what God's doing in that person's heart. You don't know what your words mean to their situation. You don't know how the Holy Spirit is going to take. Like this, by the way, this is what happens to me every Sunday. I just get up here and I'm just like, here's some things. Just like, Right, God? Right? It's like, here's some things. And the Holy Spirit, I don't know how the Holy Spirit's working in your life, in my life. But he takes, he somehow in his grace, there's this treasure in earthen vessels where he uses our words. He empowers our words to change people's lives. In his grace and mercy. Not because we're smart enough, but to demonstrate his power. And so Paul says, this is what happens. We're in, we represent the kingdom as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is God's plan A. I want, you to, I want you to notice, too, as Paul is saying he's an ambassador. Maybe you go, well, of course Paul's an ambassador. He's like a minister. You know, we tend to reduce the ambassadors to those that have the microphone in their hand. But I want, I want to remind you that as Paul is identifying as an ambassador, he's not in a, uh, in a, a pulpit. He's in a prison cell. You go, well, I'm not an ambassador because I don't work in a church. Well, you could be in jail and be an ambassador. Isn't that cool? <laughs> like, what an encouraging thought. Don't count yourself out because you don't match up to some sort of cultural expectation of an ambassador for Jesus. 
You've been sent by Jesus right to where you are for his purpose. Now, this is the theology we need first, okay? You represent the kingdom of God wherever you are. And God has willed for you to be his broadcast system of his love and his goodness. But what's needed for that to actually happen? Boldness, right? Like, I wish knowing that I was an ambassador was enough, right? Because then there comes the, the moments where I, I need more than knowing that I've been sent. I need God to give me a boldness that I don't have in and of myself. And this is a theme that we see all through the book of Acts especially. You see the church, like, uh, just the, the, the kingdom of God advancing through the people of God, through, through not just the pastors, but the people of God in their workplaces, wherever they are, just embodying the good news of the kingdom, living, letting their light so shine before men. And then usually, like, the enemy comes, and he just batters the people of God. He discourages them, and, you know, he, he attacks what God's doing. And maybe that's part of why you haven't been as bold, as you've sensed that discouragement and that, that fear. And oftentimes, you see in Acts, what will happen is the church will get together, and they'll pray for a filling, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I don't know, whatever, like, whatever framework you have in your mind for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, I just want to say what the Bible teaches the primary fruit of a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit is, it's boldness for Jesus. Just look at the book of Acts. They're filled with the Spirit, and it says, in being filled with the Spirit, they're also filled with great boldness. And they go out, with, they go out fearing God, not man. They go out just making known what he's done for them, unashamed and unafraid. And that's what Paul's praying for. He's pursuing boldness in Jesus. Boldness is the confidence in what you're saying because of the authority of who it comes from. That's boldness. It's confidence in what you're saying because you're not the source of the information. Amen? You're not sharing your opinion. You're not, sh- you're not giving your two cents. You're not giving your subjective religious view. Jesus, when he sent the church out, he, he helped them understand first. He says, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. So we're speaking on the, the authority of another who says he loves the world, who gave his son for the world. And so we need to pray for and pursue boldness. What an encouragement for us to pursue in the new year. Um, if you haven't noticed, the world is bold about what they believe. Why are we so quiet? What are we, like, I think we're afraid of being loud. We're afraid of being loud. And there is a danger to where it's like, some of you, you're calling it boldness, but it's actually just annoyance. Like, and so there is such a thing as, like, truth and love. But, but if the world, if the enemy is going to broadcast the agenda of hell, shouldn't the people of God broadcast the message of heaven? I mean, if the world is going to be bold about sin, and bold about lies. Shouldn't we be bold about truth? And this is kind of the, the mindset we need to have. Boldness is going to happen. The question is, are the people of God going to adopt it? Are they going to step into it? And can I just, one last thought here is about boldness. I, I think the, the primary motivator a great study on this is the life of Peter. Peter um, you could say Peter was naturally bold. He was more like naturally vocal. Not always the same thing. Okay. Boldness is more of an inner confidence rather than just like a brashness. 
But Peter's journey from brashness to boldness took place through one of his most depressing moments when he denied Jesus three times. He, he was lacking boldness even to confess Christ to a little girl he was afraid of. Aren't you one of his followers? You know, what are you talking about? Maybe, well, yeah, I went to church last year. What do you think? Maybe. Whatever. And flat out, he, he actually said no. He lived in such a way that denied his faith. Peter failed to confess Christ, like all of us have, by the way. Okay, we're Peter. Amen? How many times have I had opportunities to boldly proclaim him and instead I've shot away? I imagine when Peter sees Jesus on the beach as he's in that boat. When Jesus has that moment with Peter on the shores, Peter jumps out of the water to swim to him and they have breakfast on the beach. What a great brunch with Jesus on the beach, you know. And maybe Peter is expecting that Jesus is going to deny him because Peter failed to confess Jesus. And instead, you know what Jesus does with Peter? He restores him and recommissions him. And Jesus confesses Peter. This is the marvelous thought. Jesus confesses you and me before his father in heaven. He's not ashamed to call you his own. You thought about that? He doesn't say kind of like, oh yeah, this is in Paul and, and Peter and Andrew and, Andrew and Bill. You know, he doesn't do that. He boldly confesses your name to the Father. And, and I think it's this experience with Jesus that leads Peter. In Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and he boldly preaches the gospel. I don't think there's any greater motivator for confessing Christ than knowing that you are confessed by Christ before the Father. If he wasn't ashamed of me, how could I ever be ashamed of him? Amen? Amen? All right, next one. We pursue boldness for Christ. Ladies, this might be a tough one for you, this next one, but follow me here. We're going to pursue brotherhood through Christ. We're going to pursue brotherhood through Christ. We're pursuing boldness. We have a God who's bold in his love for us. He doesn't sh he's not shy. He doesn't shy away to confess us. He's confident in his care for us. And his boldness in confessing us should enable our boldness to confess him. We shouldn't be afraid to make known how good he is. We ask God to, op to open our mouths to say what we need to say when the time presents it as ambassadors. But another thing that I want to encourage us to pursue is brotherhood. Now, let me just first say, like, if I can be the bride of Christ, you can pursue brotherhood through Christ, Okay. <laughs> Ladies, if I can be the bride of Christ, you can pursue brotherhood in Christ. This is actually one of the biblical metaphors that, that Scripture uses to describe the church. We're the brethren, right? Uh, Paul says in 1 Peter, not to be discouraged because the sufferings we're experienced, that we're walking through, you're not alone in your suffering. You might feel uh, lonely, but being lonely is not the same as being alone. And in Christ, though we might feel lonely, we're experiencing the same sufferings, he says, as the brotherhood in all the world. And that, that's not the community of bros, by the way, all right? Okay? Sunday's not just for the boys, all right, is another way to say that. 
When Paul uses the idea of brotherhood, he's speaking about the whole church of God, but represented in the special uh, friendship and relationship between two brothers. That can be, uh, there's also metaphors in sisterhood as well, but here the metaphor is, is brotherhood, the brethren. Uh, you don't have to be boys <laughs> to experience brotherhood. In, in how it's represented. And the, the scriptures talk a lot about this. I love Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Like the scripture uses the idea of brotherhood to symbolize the highest degree of friendship. There, there's friends that kind of love at all times. In other words, good times. They're there to congratulate you. They send you the card. They're happy. But they're, they're not there like a brother is when things go really bad and there's nothing they can get from you. When your misery is, is, is not matching with their joy, and so they're like, I'm just going to let you be here. And, you, we all have, and by the way, it's okay. like, you don't have to be brothers with everyone, okay? Permission to not be brotherhooding with everyone, okay? It, it's good to have friends and just friends and people that, you know, can celebrate your wins. And, and yet God then, he does this work. And this is our vision for our church, that through experiencing community, you would experience core relationships here in our church. That you would experience your Peter, James, and John that you would experience a sense of brotherhood for people that can be with you in days of adversity. Um, it, it goes on to say in Proverbs 18, another verse, it says that he who has friends must himself be friendly, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And that's an interesting verse that's actually speaking to the danger of only having friends. He who has friends, the, the language there, it's often used to be like, hey, if you want friends, you got to be friendly. That's not what that verse actually means. The literal language means he who has friends. In other words, if, if someone only has surface-level relationships, they're always only going to be friendly and smiling. That's the modern translation. But do you have a friend in your life that sticks closer than a brother? And Jesus is the ultimate example of that, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. But there's a call and encouragement to that. Now, this is something to pursue in Jesus. Yeah, pursue community. But ask God to grow your degree of community to experience what we see here in the life of Paul. All right? We're getting this from these last verses. And uh, we got an epic named dude to represent brotherhood for us. It's this homie Tychicus. How did you pronounce it, Jordan? Probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you nailed it. <laughs> Paul says this. He says, but that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Look at this guy that Paul highlights kind of brother we all want in our corner. Tychicus, a beloved brother. Tichy, my boy Tichy was here. <laughs> Tikus, what up, all right? He's a beloved brother, notice this, and faithful minister in the Lord. Now, the language Paul's using there is he's like, this guy is more than just a friend that loves at all times. This guy, Tychicus, He's a beloved brother, and he's, the word there, minister, don't think microphone, think ministry and service. He's a faithful servant. That's the difference between friends and brothers. Friends are not there, friends are there to be served by you in your good seasons. Brothers are there to serve you when things get hard. Those good friends, those core friends, they're faithful in serving, faithful for the good times and the bad times. And, and no, notice the, the detail here. Tichkis is going to come to you. I'm going to send T-Dog, and he's going to come, and he's going to make all things, notice this, all things known to you about my life, 
whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. So back then, there's no, like, Paul's not tweeting, hey, just got arrested, pray for me, you know. You know, there's nothing, there's no way for him to communicate what's gone in his life other than through this beloved brother. This is the kind of friends we want in your life. Notice the details of what Tychicus is going to share. Here, here's what Tychicus knows about Paul. He knows Paul's, notice this, his affairs, the circumstances of Paul's life, and he knows how Paul's doing. Do you have that in your life? More than community. You know that you can be in, commu- you can be in a community and not be in community? You could be in a church but not be a functional member of the church. This is, so, this is a great vision. This, by the way, this takes time. You don't go to a class and get this. I got, my, I got my Tychicus. I went to the Tychicus class. Got paired up with my Tychicus. This takes pursuit. This takes prayer. Praying for God to bring you a brother like this. We all need someone like this. At least one person. Who in your life right now, let me ask you this question, other than your spouse, knows what's going on in your life, number one, the condition of your life, and number two, the most important question, how you're doing. This is, by the way, this has saved my life. Having brothers that know what's happening in my life, they're there to either rejoice with me or weep with me. And they ask me the hardest question, how are you really? From God's perspective, how are you? How are you doing? What's in your heart? What's on your heart? What's in your soul? What's on your mind? How are you doing? What, what's that, what, what is even that feeling that you're thinking that you're ignoring that needs to come to the light and just be acknowledged? Maybe some of us, we're so afraid of sharing how we're doing because of rejection that we've run from this kind of community. But I want to just appeal to you and call you to pursue brotherhood in Christ in the new year. Can you receive that? Just begin to pray for this. God, would you bring this into my life? Would you, would you help me be more than just a, another seat filler in a church? That's not what we're here to do. Solus is not here to fill seats. Solus is here to connect people in authentic relationships. And I want to just give one last encouragement about this. I want to challenge you to change how you pursue this normally. Here's how I want to challenge you to do this. Instead of waiting for your Tychicus, be a Tychicus to someone else. Instead of waiting for your Tychicus to show up at your door, Amazon Prime style, because that's how we always want it. Here I am, God, give me what I need. In this instant delivery culture, this is not how God works. I'm telling you, one of the main ways that you will find authentic community is by modeling it and being it to someone else. This is how I've experienced it in my life. It's just so true. I think of, there's a, this is the last thing about this, and then we'll move on to the last part here. But there's a really interesting section. First of all, it's a really interesting uh, collection of, of letters that John writes towards the end of the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And 3rd John, it's interesting, he's writing to one of his homies, and he starts just kind of calling out some of the people in the church that are corrupting what God's doing. Their approach to church and community and God is... Is, uh, is toxic even to what God's doing in that church. And he calls out, by, like you never, by the way, you never want Paul to just call you out by name for something in a letter because we're going to be reading about it here in Boca in 20, 
23? Okay, yeah. Um, Paul writes this. He says, I wrote to the church, but even better than Tychicus, Diotrephes, notice this, who loves to have the preeminence among them does not receive us. So in the church, you have, you have two kinds of, you have the spirit of Tychicus, who's there to go, how are you doing and what's going on in your life? And then you have this guy, the spirit of Diotrephes, that just loves to be first, me. They walk into a church and they think about themselves. They think about what, and if, hey, I didn't get this, 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 I'm out. And it's just a never-ending cycle of not having your needs met. And what a, what a revolutionary thing. Can I just give some vision for us as a church in the new year? Let's just say, God, remove the spirit of diatrophies from our heart. Let's become a people like Tychicus that are pursuing love for one another. Amen? Amen. The Bible does say to men and women alike to pursue brotherly love. All right, I got one last one for you, and this is where Ephesians comes to a close. Isn't this interesting? This is so, so sweet, actually. We close Ephesians with where we began. Last thing I want to encourage you to pursue in the new year is not just boldness for Jesus or brotherhood through Jesus, but I want to encourage you to pursue this year blessing in Jesus. The final thing that Paul says here, the last words of Paul in this letter, is Paul praying blessing over God's people. He speaks peace to the brethren and love with faith. Notice this, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And then Paul says, amen. Um, that's a pretty nice list of things to pursue in the New Testament. Anybody else wanting this in the new year? I'll take a little peace. Anybody else? Some love with faith. These things that come from God. The, the idea here is Paul is praying and, and desiring blessing over the people of God. This is the posture of God, by the way, from the very beginning. God creates man in his image and he blesses them. God's default heart posture towards humanity is one of blessing and not cursing. His, his desire is to bless and enrich and nourish, which is a great motivator to pursue that which comes from him in the new year. If this could be wrapped up in a nutshell, I guess this idea is to pursue the things of God in 2024. Pursue more than what's going to come from your hard work in the new year. Pursue more than the results that are going to come from your efforts. Have goals. Shoot for the stars. Keto it up. Okay? <laughs> Pursue more than the things that come from you and others. Make it your effort in the new year to pursue that which comes from and through Jesus. How do you pursue blessing? Here's the good news of the gospel you receive it. Isn't that good news? God, I just want to achieve your blessing. You know, when Paul is speaking these things over the church that come from God in Christ, he's speaking to the people of God that are already in Jesus. He's not saying, may they work hard enough to receive these things from you. He's confidently blessing this, this community of people because of who they are. They're the people of God in Jesus. And because of who they are, there's good news for what they have. This is the last verse that we'll use here in Ephesians, and it's the first verse we studied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What if you went into your, your new year confident of this? 
going into this year, Jesus, I have, this, by the way, this ain't no naming and claiming stuff. Like, God, I'm going to be wealthy and win the lottery because you're on my side. But I have every spiritual blessing already in you. And I'm going into a new year, not with a scarcity mindset, but an abundance mindset. I have the God of victory on my side. I have the God of peace behind me. I have the God of love singing over me. I have the God of hope writing my story. I enter a new year and I just say, Jesus, thank you for your blessing through your son. May I live from it and not for it. May I so root down in you and who you are and what you've done that I can flourish this year because it's not the results of my work. It's the fruit of your faithfulness. Amen? Hey, let's invite the team to come up. And um, as we close out with this final moment, I thought it would be helpful for us to um, just take a moment to come back to that primary, or rather this one, the primary verse we looked at. We're having an event next week called Seek First where we're going to practice this. But just as like a little sample of that right now, um, I wonder if you could do your best to drown out any distraction and create this moment of, even create what Jesus calls a secret place in your heart between you and God for a moment. A tabernacle of sorts where you take a moment here now as we close. I want you to begin to, as you close your eyes and we come before God, we're going to take some inventory here for a second. And maybe God has already begun to highlight some of the primary pursuits of your life that have mattered most in your life and they shouldn't. Things that have mattered more than the things of God. Maybe God has already revealed that to you. Maybe right now the prayer that you're going to pray in your heart before God is, Lord, show me what have I been pursuing outside of you? What have been the primary pursuits of my life? And maybe just ask this question. Jesus, are you the primary pursuit of my life? I want to pursue the things of God, but that follows after first pursuing God. We're going to create a space here as we have a closing moment here where I want you to come before God here at the end of this year and just offer him your year. And as you offer him in honesty and humility, say, God, here's where I have failed to hit the target. Here, God, I see the emptiness of what I've pursued here, but yet I recognize the fullness that's found in pursuing you first. Just take a moment to do business with God in your heart and say, God, forgive me for this. Forgive me for pursuing other things but you. And God, would you arrest my heart to pursue you and you alone? To pursue the things that are centered around you. Why don't you take a moment to do that? I'm going to come off the stage here for a second. Will you just create a space to connect with God and ask him to realign your pursuits with his for your life?